Well, if you have your Bibles with you tonight, go ahead and open them up to John chapter 9. We'll continue to make our way through here. We're almost halfway through, almost halfway through the book of John. But tonight, the sermon is, no way I'm blind. There's no way I'm blind. There's no way I could express what, what it's like to, to start losing your sight other than it's frustrating. I don't know if, if, if you, I'd see a lot of people and I see a lot of people wearing glasses. And if you, if you're losing your sight, you can, you can chime in right with me and say it is frustrating to lose your sight. And I can't imagine what it would be like to lose the ability to see all together. Uh, and, and can you imagine, uh, everything being bright and clear and then one moment it being all gone and dark, completely dark, no more light? What, if you went to bed one night, what if you went to bed one night being able to see and then you woke up the next morning and couldn't see nothing at all? How, how would that affect your life? How would that change your life? How, how would that impact you to the point you couldn't even do some, some of your old daily routines? You couldn't drive no more. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't go to the store and pick out your favorite groceries on the shelf. You couldn't examine the fruit to see which one would be the best to pick. You'd have to depend on others to guide you around until somehow you could figure out how to function without your sight. You'd have to figure out new ways to navigate. Some have taken that challenge and they, and they've, they've, they just give up. They don't move forward. Some have met the challenge and then they take strides to, to, to find new ways to see where, where others have, have really gone out and, and exceedingly done well with their other senses and they can, they can see with their other senses where they have no eyesight. So what would it be like to be completely blind, no, from birth? Never have been able to see nothing at all never having seen the world in the vivid color that we get to see it in, always in the darkness, to have never seen light or to never seen the beauty of a flower, to never experience what sight would be like. We can all testify and hear of, of, of some, some of us can anyway of losing our sight and how frustrating that is. And some can talk about how bad it is. But I don't believe anybody in here has ever been blind from birth and experienced what it would be like. That's our story tonight. A man starts out blind from birth. We see in John chapter 9, this man in our, in our passage here, he really illustrates the fallen man, how we, we are spiritually blind and we cannot see the beauty of God and how we can't see God in the situations all along the way until that time may have passed. And, and it's all... Uh, it's a long passage tonight, but it gives us a good illustration of this and a whole account of the picture of what this man is and what this man becomes in Christ. So as we read this tonight, as we read this long passage of Scripture, keep in mind, keep in mind that, that we are really spiritually blind even though we can physically see. We are spiritually blind even though we can physically see. We'll pick up there in John chapter 9 verse 1. Jesus heals the blind man is, or a blind man is born and receives sight is how some of these are captured above the paragraphs here as it starts. Now, verse 1, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And as his disciples, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was blind? 
that he was born blind. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And I must work the works of him who sent me while it's still day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus really reinforces here that he is the light of the world and that he alone can remove the darkness. And another thing that we see here, it's funny that how we as Christians, we always point to somebody else's sin as their problem or somebody else's problem caused their sin, but that's not the truth. Man's fallen. Man has always been fallen ever since Adam and Eve in the garden sinned. Man has been fallen. Man's living in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world and bad things happen. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. There is no other explanation that I can give scripturally than that right there. So we must remember that we live in a fallen world. And when, and when he said these things, he spat on the ground and he made some clay with saliva and he anointed the guy's eyes with, the blind man's eyes with the clay. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So, He went and he washed and he came back seeing. Therefore, his neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? And some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. Isn't that funny? Have you ever gone anywhere and and maybe a class reunion? Me and Mark was talking earlier about class reunions because we just had our all the all school class reunion. His 40th is coming up and and uh and my 35th is coming up. But when you see somebody you hadn't seen in a long time, and, and you go, boy, is that you? Is that really you? Boy, you've changed a lot. Or, you know, maybe you've lost a lot of weight, and somebody says, man, I, I can't believe that's you. That's what these people were doing here. They was like, man, is this him? Is that, is that him? Is that the man that was sitting there begging? The blind guy from birth, is that him who was sitting there? Some believed it and some didn't. Because a miracle had happened in his life. He said, I, I am he. Therefore, he, he said to, they, therefore they said to him, how, how are your eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and, and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then he said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. We keep reading in verse 13. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and he opened opened his eyes. And when the Pharisees also asked him again how he received his sight, he said to them, he put clay in my eyes and, and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, well, this man is not from God. Because he doesn't not keep the Sabbath. Another said, now how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Now I can kind of picture right here in these verses right here that old Nicodemus, old Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were probably there, some of the Pharisees and standing there and they were, they were the ones going, now wait a minute now, this, this, this man, he, he could, he, he could have done this. Who, who can, who, who can do this? A man that has sin in his life? No. No, only a holy man could do something like this. Only a man of God could do something like this. But there was division among them, the Bible says. And it said, the, the blind, the, the blind, they asked the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe him concerning him, that he had been blind and received 
his sight until they called his parents. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I said we're going to talk, we're going to talk about the Pharisees who didn't believe Jesus when Jesus told them something. Well, they don't believe nobody when they tell them. They didn't believe this blind guy right here. He just told them, well, this man named Jesus put some clay. I washed and I can see. Now, that's all there is. Well, go get his parents. We're going to find out if this guy was really blind to begin with. So we go on in our text, and he, his parents answered them and said, we, we know this, this, this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we don't know. Who opened his eyes, or, or, or we, don't, we don't know. He is of age. Ask him. We'll, we'll, he can speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid for the Jews had, had, had agreed already that anyone, if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would put, they would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they called on the man again, who was blind, who could now see, and they said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. They're calling Jesus a sinner. And he answered and he said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Though I was blind, now I see. And then they said again, why or what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered and he said, I already told you and you didn't listen to me. You didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? I think he was kind of putting a gig in right there, don't you? And then they, they, they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow. We do not know where he is from. Then the man answered and said this to him. Now, you want to talk about a man's theology after he's gotten his eyesight back. This is good stuff right here. Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear a sinner, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does the will of God, he hears him. Maybe this guy was a praying guy, and he was praying for one of these days Jesus to walk by and give him his sight back. I don't know, but he's, he says right here, God heard his prayer, I believe. And since the world began, he has, he has been unheard that anyone, that anyone has opened the eyes of someone who was born blind. Never before has this ever happened, this man says. This man, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Well, that's the truth. And they answered him and they said, you were completely born in sin and are you teaching us? Hmm. A man has an experience with God, and he goes before the church and he testifies of that experience and gets laughed out of the church. Matter of fact, he got ran out of the church because it says they cast him out. They threw him out of the synagogue, and he was no longer allowed to come back. But in verse 35, we pick this up, and Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and he went and found him, and he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God. And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. I believe. And he worshipped him. He never has seen Jesus before, has he? He hadn't, he hadn't been back in time to see Jesus. 
He went and washed, and he come back, and all these other people were gathering him up, taking him to the Pharisees, but he come across Jesus, and he got to see the man who gave him sight. And he worshipped him. And he worshipped him. What has God done in your life that you've worshipped him for, that you've given him thanks for? And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Their pride was their sin. Their pride was their sin. The first thing that I want you to see in this, in this passage of text is, is really only a couple things I want us to look at tonight. The first thing is this right here, that Jesus looked beyond and he looks past the physical. He looks past the physical. He looked past that man that day. And God has always looked past the physical when it comes to, to those he uses to accomplish his purpose. Here, Jesus looks past the fact that he is blind, and he sees a man that will be a great testimony one day. In those first couple of verses, we find out that, that, that the disciples are concerned that this man's sin or his parents' sin has caused this man's blindness. But Jesus says, no, that's not the case at all. You live in a fallen world. He doesn't say that in the verses, but he says, no, this is, this is why this man's blind. So God can be brought glory. So this work that I'm going to do here can bring God glory. And that's what we see. He sees that that, that man will be a great testimony to who Jesus is. And he, you know, take the example of Gideon. Uh, we find that in, in, in Judges there that the, that the Lord turned to him and he said, you, you go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the Midianites. Have I not sent you, he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, I am from the smallest and the weakest clan. And I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. You know, God looked past the physical, the little bitty scrawny man, but he used that little bitty scrawny man to defeat a whole army of people. I think it was 300 against 20,000. One man. And a couple of men went and done it. What about David? David's another great example. How about when Samuel went uh, to, to anoint the new king and he seen Elam there and he said, well, surely this is the one. And that was Jesse's oldest son. And the Lord said, don't look at the outward appearance, his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see a man as man sees. That's one thing we need to remember. The Lord doesn't see the way we see. He looks at the heart. We look at the outward appearance. You know, and it goes on to say that, that uh, this happened with all of Jesse's sons. And he said, well, is there, there's got to be one more because this, and he said, oh, yeah, there's one more. He's out in the field tending the sheep. But he's the youngest. He's not the one you want. This is not who you need. He says, well, are they all here? Yet there remains the youngest. And he says, he's out there keeping the sheep. And then Samuel said to Jesse, send for him and bring him here. For we will not sit down until he comes. So he sent and he brought him. And now David, he was a ruddy and bright-eyed and good-looking. He had some physical attributes, didn't he? But he was the youngest. He was the smallest of that whole family. And the Lord said, 
Arise and anoint him, for he's the one. See, it's the Lord who looks past the physical and sees the spiritual needs that he's got for each and every one of us. God looked past that physical and he looks at the heart of man. And he would see, and he would see a good man that was going to serve the will of God. Here, David and Gideon both were, were overlooked as men because of their physical traits that they did not possess. But God used them to do mighty things. Jesus looked past the physical problem that this blind man had and, and he knew that this man was going to glorify God and the works that he was going to do through this man was going to bring glory to God. Jesus looked past the physical problem this blind man had and he sees his spiritual need, that he needed his eyes open to see the world. And what God does here is done to bring him glory and everything that God do, does is to bring him glory. It's everything that we're to do for God is to bring God glory, not ourself glory. God cares about the spiritual welfare of the man over the physical welfare of the man. It doesn't mean God doesn't care about your physical being. But he's got far greater things for you to do. Why? Because one day we'll all die and we're going to leave this physical body behind. I believe Rob preached about that fleshly body that's not going to be no more. We will be with God and we'll be transformed into something that's made for an eternity. That's why God looks past the physical and sees the spiritual. And we need to remember that. But we often worry way too much about this physical body, don't we? Way too much do we worry about the physical body. We forget that God has an eternity in store for us. You know, and the one thing that this passage really points out is the fact that, that these men were... They were spiritually blind. The Pharisees in our story, they were spiritually blind. And spiritual blindness is, is, is equal to spiritual darkness, being in the dark. The, spiritual, um, the spiritually blind are simply unable to understand the word of God. They couldn't understand what was going on. The Pharisees couldn't understand it that day. They couldn't, you know, they wanted answers, but when they got an answer, it wasn't the answer they wanted. Because you remember, all they wanted to do with Jesus was kill him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will, he will give another helper to you to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it is neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. That's what John 14 tells us. And Paul echoed this in, in, in Romans. He echoed it to the Romans in Romans 8, 8 and 9. It says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I could stop right there and that's just that'd be a good sermon for tonight. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If you're a born-again believer here today, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You are in the Spirit, no longer in the flesh. If you're still doing fleshly things, then you're not in the Spirit. You're still in the flesh. So, it goes on and says, In the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, if you're wondering where the Holy Spirit is in your life and you don't know where He is and you can't feel Him, you can't hear Him, you can't physically know that He's there, then maybe you need to check your salvation. 
You may need to see if you've actually given your life to Christ because once you have given your life to him, then you can receive that spirit that he gives to us. Those outside of Christ are not of God because of their lives are steeped in these things of the world. All their passions, all their desires are in the world. Uh, their eyes are blind to the spirit of God. The apostle John said, if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Hmm. What are we clinging on physically here on this earth that's keeping us in spiritual blindness, that we can see the Spirit, see the Father, but the person that loves is from the world? Hmm, the person that loves is from the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, but that person love, his love is from the world a worldly love, a worldly kind of love, then whose father is your father? Who is your father? It would be the devil, right? We have went through that. The cause of spiritual blindness is, is, is made quite clear in Scripture too. In, in, in their case the, the, of the, the God of this world, the case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We find that in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He has blinded their minds where they can't even see Christ. And Paul refers to Satan as, as the God of this world. He, he, and, and John says he's extraordinarily evil. We, we studied that a couple of weeks ago in, in John 8. And Satan destroys the flesh. He destroys the flesh. So why do we seek the flesh? And he goes around and he masquerades himself as, a, as an angel of light. And, and the Bible continues to say these other things about him. And he causes all temptations is what Luke and Hebrews and Corinthians all tell us. He reveals in schemes against and the trappings, trapping the unbeliever. He reveals in scheme against and, and trapping the unbeliever. Satan's goal as First Peter says, is to devour the weak who fall prey to temptation. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking whom he may devour. Those who have fear and loneliness and worry and depression and, and all of those things in their life, he looks and he prowls around looking to devour you. The biggest lie that he tells us today is to turn a blind eye. Turn a blind eye. Turning a blind eye is, a, uh, is described as ignoring of undesirable information. Satan wants people to believe that the Bible is undesirable information. He wants you to think that the Bible is no good. And, and I tell you what, he's against everything that the Bible says isn't okay. He's against those things. He, he, he has lied to people enough that this is, is, when we tell them of a scripture that reminds them of their sins, they get angry at us for, for doing that. They turn a blind eye to every sin. It's, it's evident today that even in our churches, across America, even across the world, that we've got pastors and preachers and teachers that are turning a blind eye to what the Word of God says. 
Bible says it's wrong to do, then, then it's just wrong to do. There's no, there's no disputing the Word of God. If you believe in Jesus and He, and he is your Lord and Savior, then this is your foundation. And if, if you're going to dispute your foundation, then you have no foundation to stand on. As Christians, we cannot set the truth aside. We cannot set the word of truth aside, the word of God. To do, to, to, to do so is to, to say you're not in Christ. To say this isn't what we're supposed to be following is to say I don't believe in Christ. You can't say that you're a Christian and say this book doesn't matter, that the words in this book don't matter. If, if, you're, not a, if you're not in Christ and you're not a Christian, you can go uh, around... You can't just go around breaking God's laws, breaking God's commands, and expect that you're saved. It doesn't work that way. You're either saved and you follow what Christ tells you to do, you follow Him, or you're not saved. There's one side or the other. I believe we talked about that a couple weeks ago. You can't be straddling the fence. Saved people and people that believe in Jesus are repented people, and they're not longer in their sins. They live apart from those sins, and they turn away from those sins. If you're turning a blind eye to what this world is doing wrong, according to God's Word, then maybe you should ask yourself, am I truly saved? John 1, 2, 15 through 17, we read part of it a while ago, says this to the Christians, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, that is all going to pass away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The will of God. We talked about that. That's obeying and trusting God. God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. The devil says this to men, if you legalize it, normalize it, then men will start accepting it. That's what the devil says, and that's what the world is doing. We're going to legalize it, and we're going to normalize it, and that makes it right. No, that does not make it right. If it's contrary to the Word of God, it's wrong. And we have to live that way. If we're not living that way, then we're not living in Christ. And if you're not living in Christ, then you're not a Christian. It's just that simple. We must put our trust in God. And that even when we don't see it, even when we don't see it, we got to believe that He's got it. Even when we don't see it. You know, I just it reminds me of the story of Abraham when Abraham asked God to, that he, his wife bear a son. And, and at 50 years old, God said, you got it. I'm going to give you a son. Your wife's going to bear a child. 30 years goes by. Abraham's 80. He's like, where's that sign at, God? Oh, I'm going to give it to you. Just keep trusting. Keep obeying. Finally, when Abraham turned 100, he got his son. It's a long time, isn't it, to wait for something that God's promised you. But you're going to wait a lifetime for eternity. You're going to wait a lifetime for eternity, aren't you? That's the promise of God, too. We was playing some music trivia up here a while ago, and I asked him one of the songs we sang tonight. 
was written by this, this lady, and her name is Fran Crosby. She was blind, not from birth, but from six weeks old due to an improper surgery on her, on her eyes. A uh, medical procedure caused her blindness. She could only distinguish between the, the night and the day. Nevertheless, she lived a happy childhood. She said she used to climb trees like a squirrel, and she used to ride her horses bareback, and she never considered that her blindness was a handicap. She memorized the first five books of the Bible, memorized all of the Gospels, could quote them, could quote Scripture. She, she memorized most of the Psalms and all of Proverbs and Ruth and the Song of Solomon. And she, uh, she taught uh, language classes and, and history classes at the Institute of the Blind in New York. And she played the guitar. She played the harp. She played the piano. She played the organ. She was physically blind, but she still worked for the Lord. She married a man uh, who was a music teacher, and they had a child, and that child died within the first year of its life. But she never talked about that ordeal. And she was dramatically changed at a Methodist revival one day. In Methodist Revival, she gave her life to Christ, and she wrote that, that, that the Lord planted a star in her life that no cloud has ever obscured the light of. Impressive words, I believe. Fanny wrote that her, her first song in 1865 and believed that it was her life's mission. We sang one of them tonight that was, uh, To God Be the Glory. But she's wrote other songs like... Uh, Blessed Assurance. I'm sure you know that one. And she wrote the words to praise him, praise him. She wrote over 8,000 songs. Blind. Why did God use her in such a mighty way? To bring him glory. To bring him glory. Now how can God use me in such a mighty way? Just like that. He uses people of all manners of life. And in James, it tells us to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I believe that's how you can start, is with relationship with God, relationship with Jesus. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus shows up, no matter the, the place, no matter the situation, he always leaves it a little bit better than what he found it? He showed up in this blind man's life, and he changed his life forever. Gave him sight, something he never had. He can do that same work in your life as well. He, he did it for the blind man. He did it for all the, the miracles that we read about in, in the Gospels. He's changing lives everywhere. And if you believe in him, he will change your life. He'll change your situation. He will change your circumstances. You know the song, There Was Jesus. Dolly Parton and Zach Williams sing it together. It said, every time I tried to make it on my own, every time I tried to stand I'd, and start to fall, and all those lonely roads that I've traveled on, there was Jesus. Then when life I, I built came crashing to the ground, and the friends that I had were no longer to be found. And I tell you, that's a true thing. When I was a lake patrolman, I had many friends. Everybody wanted to be my friend. But when I left the patrol, they didn't want to be, there were nowhere to be found. I could see it. I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. There was Jesus. 
in the waiting and the searching and the healing and the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or I couldn't see it, there was Jesus. doesn't matter if you're physically blind. You can still see Jesus. I believe Fanny Crosby could see Jesus. Tonight, ask yourself, why was I born? If you don't know already, the answer is to bring God glory. That's why you were born. Jesus is there and he's waiting for you. He's waiting to do a work in your life so that you can bring God glory. As pigeon comes to play, that's the invitation tonight. I don't know if you have Jesus in your life, but he's there. He's waiting to see you. Come to him so that you too could bring God glory. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know where you're struggling at in your in your daily lives. I don't know what sins are, are hindering you from glorifying God, but if you've got sin in your life, you need to get rid of those sins and repent of those sins and get back into a relationship with God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. That's the invitation tonight. If you need Jesus, come. He's here. He's waiting. He's been there your whole life. Even when you didn't see it, even when you didn't know it, Jesus was there. He's here for you today. He's here for you tonight. Just come and give your life to him. For, for our Christians, it's, it's this. If, you, if you're not bringing God glory, what are you doing? Where are you falling short at? Where do you need to be serving at? What do you need to be doing for him that will bring him glory? Tonight, I hope that you can see that Jesus is, is here for you. He's waiting for you. He's waiting to bring a miracle into your life so that you can bring God glory. Because that's what salvation does. It's a miracle that brings God glory. Father God, Lord, how we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. We thank you for the, the words that we read in, in the gospel of John that tells us these stories that we can, uh, we can look at and we can see where we fall short and where we are lacking, Father, that we can uh, work to bring you more glory just as Jesus worked through this blind man to bring glory to you, Father. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And we just ask you to be with our prayer time as we start. In Jesus' name, amen.